done it. I've, I got a special gift this morning, a fly swatter. So, for my local fly buzzers. And to hammer it in the deal, right? So, what's that? Yeah, those who fall asleep, look out now. Here we come. Yeah. I don't know about that. We were, we, one time we were uh, at uh, Shorewood, uh, we were, we go down to Pacific Garden Mission and, uh, and uh, teach once a month. And one day we were down there doing, and um, we, uh, guy on the front row nodded off, started snoring. So the other guy, just pick one out of the pew there, brother, because they, nobody's there. They leave them there. There you go. So uh, one of the brothers that works there, he reached up there with a, uh, a hymn book and dropped it right on the linoleum floor by the guy. And the guy woke up shouting, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. <laughs> so, you know, that's if, so don't go to sleep. We have carpet, so we'll have to knock you on the head. So... All right, good morning, good to see you, get everybody settled. Romans chapter 8, if you will. Romans chapter number 8, we are, uh, helps if I get there. Romans chapter 8. We're going to be back here now, we're still in uh, verse 14 through 17 here. Uh, we're going to look one more time here at, at, at an issue here in verse 15. Uh, we're th with the cry of the Abba Father, and uh, really, um, I just want to do something with you this morning here uh, in connection with this. I said we've been talking about this now for uh, several weeks, and uh, verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Again, that declarative statement, this is a fact. The Holy Spirit only leads and only works in, only will communicate with sons of God. So how do you become a son of God? Well, you trust that Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried, rose again the third day. That moment, that spiritual transaction, is then he moves you out of Adam and into Christ. And when he does that, he gives you a status in the family as an adult. You're a son, Okay. Now, adults learn, adults grow, adults do, but you, that's how God is going to relate to you now, is as a son, all right? How are we going to relate and to respond to God as sons? Verse 15, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So again, the issue here is first time we are learning who we are, and now we're going to begin to learn how we are going to learn. <laughs> how then do we become educated? And in verse 16, you'll notice that he says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the what? The children of God, the sons of God. We are, this, this is who we are. Now, you'll notice that the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. 
we'll get into this more next time, that, that's how we learn. The Holy Spirit taking the Word of God, educating us. And He t- deals with us through the Spirit. Th- that's why if you come over to Ephesians 2 and verse number 1. Ephesians 2 and verse number 1. Where He says there, And you, Ephesians 2, 1, And you hath He quickened who were dead and trespasses and sins. In, in your makeup... As a, as a human, you have a spirit, you have a soul, and you have a body, okay? The spirit and the soul make up your inner man. That's what makes up your inner man. Your body is that outer man, all right? That's this guy, the fleshy guy. He's, he's the vehicle that moves around the inner man, but in your spirit... Your spirit has a mind. Paul will say that the grace of that the peace of God will keep your hearts and mind. Your soul is your heart. This is where your will sits. This is where your conscience is. This is where your emotions are. Okay? By the way, emotions, that's what drives that bad boy. But what drives the emotions is the heart and the will, and the conscience checks that, all right? With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. In your spirit, here's, your, here's where your mind is. Here's where your thinking capacity takes place. By the way, it takes place over there, too. When you are dead in trespasses and sins, your spirit, you have it. Now, this is just you. As an unsaved person, it's dead. It's darkened. It has no ability to communicate back to God and His Word. It's dead. That's why you'll read passages. Paul talks to the Corinthians about the natural man receiveth not the things of God. Why? Because he doesn't have the Spirit of God. He's dead. He's darkened. Ephesians 4, talking about walking as the Gentiles walk in the darkness. He's talking about believers who are now acting like Gentiles, unsaved people, and they're dead. Now, what happens to you now is you go to Calvary and you find out that you are now quickened. You have the co-death, burial, and resurrection. You have this new identity now and now you are alive to God so now when you hear God's word it's now able to go into your mind it's able you're alive it's able to go into your mind into your thinking that's your spirit part your heart reaches over and grabs it with the heart man believes unto righteousness. Your heart tells your will, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do that. Your will says, okay, emotions, tell the body, let's go do it. That's how every one of us works. The critical part is what's coming into here. 
human viewpoint as an unsaved individual. By the way, human viewpoint also as a believer. Because we get dumped on as human viewpoint. It's called religion. It's called whatever, okay? Your heart says to your will, let's go. Then your conscience, wonderful working of your conscience, a defiled conscience isn't a good conscience. A weak conscience isn't a good conscience. Weak, doesn't have enough doctrine in there. Defiled, has wrong information. Paul says, I have a clear conscience. I have a good conscience. Well, what does the conscience do? Romans 2, it accuses or excuses. The conscience looks at your activity and says it isn't matching what we decided to do based upon the Word of God. Okay? So here, go back to Romans 8. What that has to do here with now in Romans 8.15 is as we learn who we are, sons of God, that's who we are then we're going to begin to learn how then do we learn that, and it's going to come from God's Word, resonating in with, through our spirit, into our deepest recesses of, of who you are. This, by the way, is the real you. That's going to then work out in our daily... Now, this body, unsaved, this guy has... He's depraved. Remember, dead, darkened, depraved, calling on your memory of our studies of, on you, your makeup, okay? But now, because we have been, we are dead to sin, our relationship to sin is dead, death. Again, sin didn't go anywhere. Doesn't say you don't continue to sin or doesn't say you have that propensity to sin. It just says your relationship to sin, Romans 6, is dead. Now this body can be used to do something it can never be used for, to go serve the Lord. So when you come into this, verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit, that's how it works. Now none of this is, we aren't even in my notes yet, okay? But this is how this works. Hopefully you can see the different colors. I can, so I'm hoping you can, because I'm colorblind. But this is how this works. This is the design. Yesterday at the men's fellowship, we were talking about creation and how God created creation to work and to operate. And the fact is, is that he created creation, creatures to operate and function in creation as adults. That's why they're called the sons of God, when he's either talking about the angels or he's talking about Israel, or he's talking about you and I, adults. Intellectual, intelligent participation in the will of the Father. Okay? So when you come here, verse 15, Paul is honing in on us this issue of our identity, our identification. The fact is, is that we have this new identity and that identity now is of a son. It's of an adult. Okay? But you've got to learn that. You, we, we've never heard this before in Romans. Again, we're just coming through Romans as we come to it. We've been in Matthew. We're in Mark now. We've been in Luke. We've been in John. We've been in Acts. We're coming to Romans. As we come through Romans and are building our foundation for the first time, 
are we finding out in the scriptures that we are sons? Verse 15, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. That's not the mo our motivation. Our motiva our, when we serve our Father, we don't do it on the basis of fear. Okay? Religion, the law program. That's what he's talking about. The law says, if you do, then you get. If you don't, then you don't. <laughs> then you're going to get cursed. So out of fear, what do we do? Well, it, you used to obey the law. Thou shalt not. We don't have that kind of a relationship with the Father. We are what? Sons. We don't operate under the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. And last time we talked about that issue of adoption. And the fact of adoption is not how we generally think about it in our society of taking someone and adding them to our family. When you trusted Christ, you became a member of the family, and subsequently, because you are a member of the family, I'm now going to treat you like a son. Okay? So ra rather than adoption having to do with, you know, coming over here and taking lay and making lay a part of my family, removing all the parental rights from one group, bringing them over to another, that's not what Scripture adoption is talking about at all. Literally nowhere in Scripture does it talk like it like that. Rather, he says, no, you are sons. That's what Galatians 4 is, was all about. So, verse 15, whereby, notice that, whereby. How do we cry, Abba, Father? We don't cry it just to, because we can. Do you know anybody can say, Abba, Father? But how, do, how, how does it, what does it mean when you say, Abba, Father? Whereby we cry. How do we cry? How do we have the right to cry, Abba, Father? Because what have we received? The spirit of adoption. We're sons. We have a sonship status now. So when we talked about Abba, again, your context will define that for you. Come back to Mark 14. Mark 14. Because it is an expression of trust. It's an expression of dependence upon one that loves you. Rather than it being the language of a child, the Lord says this in the Garden of Eden, there, Mark, or Garden of Eden, Garden of Gethsemane, Mark 14, 36. He's not a baby in the manger. He's a 33-year-old man. So it isn't a Abba, Daddy, 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 okay? It's a cry of intelligence. It's an expression of trust and a, an expression of dependence upon. So if you'll notice the situation that the Lord is in, that then leads us to understand what the cry of Abba Father is all about. All right? So the context around it around the use is what's going to tell you and define for you. And by the way, 
the, ter- the phrase Abba Father only shows up in Mark and then in Paul's epistles, but only in Paul's epistles two times, Romans 8 Galatians 4. So it's not a phrase that everybody banters about. Israel doesn't even say this. You and I say this because of the status that we have is the same status with the Father that the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, had. And I talked to you last time about that dual, that, that there's that dual relationship. Do you remember? Son and servant. We talked about last time. That's the issue. Uh, you got Mark 14? Uh, good. Where else do I need to go with you? <laughs> Notice Mark 14, verse 35. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. So we're in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Are all things possible? Yeah, they are. Take away this cup from me. Notice the prayer of petition there. He's petitioning. He is the Son. He has the natural rights as a member of the family to demand some things, doesn't he? He says, hey, as a son, Hebrews 5, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience. All right? He's the son, and he says, hey, if it, Father, if it be possible. He's making a petition. But notice, nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou will. Notice, nevertheless, immediately, The Lord does not wait for a response from the Father. He immediately moves to the prayer of submission. He immediately moves to the prayer of a servant. He says, I'm a son. Though he were a son, I have all the natural rights and responsibilities, and I can come in and demand. But what he doesn't make his demands, though, does he? He says, I'll take that servant, thank you. And that comes from a place of understanding what the Father's will is all about. And you and I, we have the same spirit. The f- folks, the Father wants us to make the choices in life that are consistent with his revealed will. That's what he wants. He wants you, as a son, to make intelligent, genuine decisions to participate in what he's doing. Not come in and have you, not come in and, I was telling the guys yesterday, not be robots where you're, uh, you know. Not the Calvinistic idea of a preordained roadmap for your life but rather to step back. And by the way, you see this in Genesis with Adam. He brings the animal creation to Adam there and says, you name them, Adam. And he said, the verse says to see what he would name them. And you know, Adam, when he can't do that platypus, what a great sense of humor the Lord has because he created it. And Adam says, I think that ought to be a platypus 
You know what God said? No, that should be a lion. No, not at all. He said, you know what? That's a good, that's a good intelligent observation and a great name. Why? Because what was Adam? He was a son of God. He was an adult. See, you and I have the same relationship that the Lord Jesus Christ has with the Father. Now, we're not talking, again, hear me out. I'm not saying you're God or you can be a God, but we have the same what? Relationship. You know why you can't be God? Because you're not deity. You're humanity. That's why you can't be God. The old Mormon idea of dying and going and being a God is just founded in tomfoolery. Okay? Yeah, they have a planet. You can, you can take this one. <laughs> okay? That's, it's, your humanity, the relationship is what we're talking about. Come over with me to Matthew 3. Just as the Lord Jesus Christ decided to live a life of deliberate, intentional submission to the Father's will, you and I can do the same thing. Now, what I want to do the rest of the morning here is just think about that relationship that the Son, the Lord, had with the Father, because you and I have the same, same, same relationship. Again, just as he said, you're dead to sin. Where'd it go? Dead to sin. Your relationship is what we're talking about. Your identification, your identity, your status, your standing, your practice, your position, all of that hangs because you and I have an adult standing. You go, I think about that son. I'm thinking about yesterday's lesson. You go over there to 1 Kings 22, and the Lord is talking to the heavenly host, and he says, Ahab's got to die. I need some ideas on how that works. One says one, one says another. And the other, it's, uh, one spirit comes in and says, well, let's go give him a lying spirit in the mouths of the prophets. And the Lord says, yeah, that's a good idea. I like that. And then a couple verses later, it says that the Lord of, the Lord of hosts put the lying spirit in a prophet's mouth. What did he do? The decreed will of the, of the Lord was that Ahab had to die. It's time for him to die. But then he let creation, the creatures in creation, come and participate with him in deciding how to carry out that will. Does that make sense? Do we, okay? I hope it does. That's how he deals with you and I. Here's my declared will. What's the will of God today? Have men get saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But then when you come to the knowledge of the truth, there's a will of God in that living, that, that, that godly lifestyle that you're to go and do and to learn and to participate in. But you know what You know what he does? He says, you go do it. Here's my declared will. How would you do that? How in the world does that look in your life? Go do it in your life. That's why the grace message, understanding the word rightly divided, the, cross, the finished cross work of Calvary, can go into any culture and purify it. Not change it, purify it. Think about that. How can it do that? How can it go into the continent of Africa or South America or South America, China, Asia, all that, and work. There are churches all over this world preach and teach the same thing we preach and teach this morning, and yet they do it in their culture. 
It purifies it. It doesn't change it. It doesn't make them all look like an American. Thank the Lord. That says, no, in this culture, it looks this way. And you know what God says? That's a wise use of it, of your intelligence, and off you go. So I want just this morning, look, Matthew 3, I just want you to notice the relationship here that the Lord has with the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ is the focal point of the Father's love. Okay? Matthew 3, 17. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Notice, the interesting thing in Matthew 3 is, notice who the audience, who's the audience? Who's the Lord, who's the Father saying this to? Well, it isn't the Lord, it's the people round about him. Jesus, verse 16, verse 15, and Jesus answering said unto him, this is John the Baptist, suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all, his, all righteousness. Then he suffered him, and the voice come, you know, the, 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 verse 16, and when Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and a voice from heaven said, what? This is my beloved son. To the audience, to the nation of Israel, to the Gentiles, to the world, what's the father acknowledging? There's my beloved son. Come over to Mark 1. Mark chapter 1. By the way, three times in Matthew he says, my beloved son. Does it in chapter 3? Does it in chapter 12? Does it in chapter 17? And there's a progression through there. Look at Mark 1, verse 11. Same, same thing, but notice the difference. Verse 11. And there came a voice from heaven saying, what? Thou art my beloved son. Now he's talking directly to who? To Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 3, this is my proclamation to everybody. Here, thou. He becomes the focal point over to John 1. He's the focal point of the Father's love. John 1, look at verse 18. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, now watch, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared him. That, that expression, bosom of the Father. Okay, so yes, it is talking, you can talk about the chest area. But he ain't talking about the chest area here, you know, the, the, the disciple that laid on the bosom of the Lord and so forth, and, you know, up. He's not talking, when he says the bosom of the Father, bosom, down deep inside, and it's an expression that, uh, it's, a, it's a word that expresses affection, deep affection. He's the object of my desire. Come back with me to Song of Solomon. You know where that one is? No? Right before Isaiah. Psalms, Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Oh. That issue of bosom. Here's the idea, if you will. Song of Solomon 7, verse 10. Here's the idea. 7.10. I am my beloved's. Isn't that interesting? 
And his desire is what? Toward me. His deep affection, his drive, his, his, what he cherisheth. Now come back to John. What he cherisheth is the son. Come over to John chapter 3. Just notice this. The son, the Lord, is now become, he is the object of the deepest desire, <laughs> the deepest affection that the father has. So when you read that word bosom, don't go, oh, he's just in the, on, laying on the chest of the father. You know, that's poetical and makes for good uh, preaching, I guess, for some. But it's much deeper than that. We're not talking about a superficial, you know, just the, hey, hey, I, hey, I love you kind of thing passing by. But rather a deep, look down deep into the eyes and say, you know what, I love, I cherish you. Look at John 3. Look at verse 35. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. The Father does what? He loveth the Son. Now, it's interesting to me, look over at chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 20. Chapter 5, verse 20. For the Father loveth the Son. Several, come over to chapter 8. Several other places he'll say, the Father loveth the Son. Why does the Son need to be reminded that the Father loves him? That's my question. Well, because something's coming. John 8, look at verse 29. 8, 29. And he that sent me is with me. There's the, the Son talking about the Father. Verse 27, they understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Verse 29, and he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that are pleasant. Notice that the Father loves him, and he's, never, he's not left him alone. Now, there's going to be a moment where the Lord's going to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Calvary. But why would he say that? Well, first of all, Psalm says he's going to say it. But why would he say that? Because he's never been left alone. The Father has always been there. Chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 17. Therefore doth my Father love me. Notice how the Father loveth the Son, the Father loveth the Son, and, now what, and the Son says, he never left me alone, he loves me. Because I lay down my life that I might take it again. Why does, see the son's being educated here, isn't he? He's learning something. Why does the father love the son? Why does he never leave him alone? Because what has the son decided to do? Not my will, but thy will be done. He's decided to be obedient unto the word and the will of the father. To become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. There's something happening here. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. Now watch, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. How, dare, how can he say that? That's what got him in trouble with the Pharisees and Sadducees the most anyways, because he said he was God. 
They didn't care about him doing miracles and walking on water and healing the sick and feeding the 5,000. They got so irate when he said he was the son of God. Boy, they're talking about coming unglued. How can he say, I, I lay it down, I take it up again? Finish the verse. This commandment have I received of my Father. Jesus Christ possesses free choice, free will. He ha he's the Son. He has the object of the Father's love and cherish and affection. And what can he do? He can claim those rights. He can say, I'm the Son. Boom, do it to me. But yet, what did he do? He said, not my will, but thy will. He said, I'm going to be submissive to the commandment that I received, to the word and the will, come over to chapter 11, of the Father. I'm going to, I am the Son, but I'm going to, claim, I'm going to operate as a servant. You and I are the same way. Look at John 11. John 11, verse 41. John eleven forty-one. 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast, what? Heard me. He has that communication with the Father, that prayer life going. And I knew that thou hearest me, what? Always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that, that thou may believe, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Notice he says, thou hearest, you heard me, and you hear me what? Always. In the garden, when he's praying, and he says, Abba, Father, he's not arguing with the Father. He's arguing with who? Himself. What's his will? What's the Son's will? Take the cup away, man. Is there a way to beat this rap? <laughs> Can we, is there a workaround? Is there, a, is there an appendix somewhere? Is there an addendum somewhere? See? But, but immediately, nevertheless, what? Not my will, but thy will. He moves. You see, when he cries, Abba, Father, in that moment, come back with me to Psalms 40. When he cries that, he's not arguing with the Father at all. Actually, the fa he changes from petition to submission, and the Father never responded to him. But the Father did what? Heard him. You hear me always. Look at Psalms 40. We were here briefly last time. Psalms 40. Look at verse 11. Psalms 40, verse 11. Withhold, now, Psalms 40 is, is, a, is one of the Messianic Psalms. Uh, there's, several, there's five or eight of these through here. And they depict the Lord at different stages in his life. And they're very critical. They're very important to understand when you talk about the life of Christ. Verse 11, withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. So this is the Son talking to the Father. All right? By the way, this is also David talking to 
Jehovah, Lord, Jehovah. This is also going to be little flock talking to Jehovah. It goes all the way across the board. But who, who is it really? Well, it's really Jehovah, the Son, talking to Jehovah, the Father. And you know that from verse 6, 7, and 8. We'll get up there in just a second. Verse 11. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually do what? Preserve me. Notice this appeal here of the Son to the Father. What does he say? Don't hold... with. Withhold not thy tender mercy, thy loving kindness, thy truth. Don't hold that stuff back from me. It's what's going to preserve me. Come over to chapter 69, Psalm 69, another messianic psalm. It also sometimes is called the reproach psalm, but it's really a messianic psalm. Verse 16, 69, 16. He says, hear me, O Lord. Well, didn't he say in John 11, you hear me all the time? Yeah. Hear me, O Lord, for thy loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. He's describing his death here as he goes down into that miry clay. Uh, if you go back up there to verse uh, 1, save me. O oh God, for the waters are coming unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. Psalm 69, 1 and 2. That's a description of a soul going into hell. When, when Pharaoh marches into the Red Sea down there and the Lord congeals the floor and causes the nation to go across on dry land, and then he congeals it back to, and it literally is an opening down into the pit of hell. And boom, Pharaoh goes. Miry clay. Boy, what a description. Water, drowning constantly, and on and on. It, so the issue here, you're, you're, look over at Psalms 89. No, I just want you to see that no matter the, how severe our circumstances be, become or get, they are never, never as severe as when Christ is hanging on Calvary. And if you think you had it just as bad as Christ did, you've got a problem. You're a lunatic. Okay? Because when he hung there, you will never experience that on the worst day of your life. But yet, what was he still able to do? Don't withhold your loving kindness, tender mercies. Let your truth preserve me. Yet he still did what? He appealed to the love of the Father. When he's on the cross, he says, why did you forsake me? I am but a worm. He says that, doesn't he? He never asks, take me down. Deliver me from this. But rather, he appeals to the love of the Father. 80, look at Psalms 89, look at verse 33. 
Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. He's talking about the millennial kingdom. It's a future. He's talking about the king. And he's talking about out what the father, the father is talking to the son here. And you know what he says, verse 33? Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him. He's the object. Psalms 91. I hope you get the point. Psalms 91, verse 14. Psalms 91, 14. Because he hath set his love upon me, that he is the Father, me is the Son. How do you know that? Well, back up in verse 11 and 12 there, and 13 is uh, quoted by Satan in the temptation of Christ in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. All right? Because he hath, what? Set his love upon me. Therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. Sorry, the he there is the son, the me is the father. <laughs> Switch him around, okay? Sorry about that. Therefore will I deliver What's the father telling the son he's going to do to him? Deliver him. The level of love here between the father and the son is the same level of love that you and I have with the father. The same level, the same relationship. Again, we're not gods, but because we are in his son, what are we? Sons of God. We're sons. So we carry that same level of uh, of relationship. When we cry, Abba, Father, we're appealing to the love, that love relationship that exists between us and the Father. That's what the son's doing. The son in the garden is saying, look, dad, not dad, I said that again, father, by the way, Matthew's account of it, he says, my father. And he says, father, don't don't take away your truth from me. Deliver me. Now, how is he going to be delivered? It's called what? Resurrection. You see, come over to Hebrews 10. That's the the level of the relationship of Abba Father. Now, the question gets then was, how does he know what the will of the Father is? How does he learn? We're going to move now in Romans 8 for us to learn. By the way, what was the motivation of the Son to go do the Father's will? His what? His love. What's our motivation to go do the Father's will? The love of Christ does what? Constraineth you. Same for us. Look at Hebrews 10. Look at verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, that he here is the Son, what's he going to do? He's going to be incarnation, born into the world. He, has, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin thou hast no pleasure. What's he saying there? I'm coming into the world because you prepared a body for me. All right? He's prepared a body for his son. 
Why does he prepare a body for his son? Verse 6. For the what? For the sacrifice for sins. You don't like, you don't, you know, he looks at Israel and says, I don't want your sacrifices, I want your heart. He, the son says, look, Father, I know why you sent me into the world. John 1, 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory. Butchered that verse, didn't I? 1, 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We know. He knows. Verse 6 here. You prepared a body for me so that I can go down there and do what? Be the sacrifice for sin. Verse 7. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Isn't that interesting? Now he's quoting Psalms 40. So run back to Psalms 40 because you've got to catch what Hebrews 10 drops. You need to catch this. He knows the son has learned that he came into the world to be the sacrifice for sin. What did the angels say in Matthew 1? He came to save his people from their sins. Paul says he's, that he's the chief of sinners and Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. That's why he came. Be Israel's Messiah, do Israel's program, but ultimately through the progressive revelation given to Paul, we understand that he's what? He's the Savior of, the, of, of all man. Look at Psalms 40, look at verse 6. See if you can catch what Hebrews 10, 7, or Hebrews 10, 5 and 6 and 7 here drops. Proverbs, I'm sorry, Psalms 40, verse 6. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burn offerings and sin offerings hast thou not required. Do you see what he dropped? Mine ears hast thou opened. In Hebrews 10, verse 6, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast not had no pleasure. He dropped off the mine ears have been opened. Why? Because that's already done. It's, Hebrews 10 has been already fulfilled. Look at verse 7, uh, Psalms 40, verse 7. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O God, yea, thy law is within my heart. Yeah, that's all been done. Verse 9, I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my... See, seven, uh, that's being done. Come back to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verse uh, 7. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Notice the delight is gone. But yet he still delights in it. It's why? Because it's being fulfilled out. It's being worked out. It's being fulfilled. The Lord Jesus Christ's ears have been opened. He's been educated. He's been enlightened. He's heard the truth. He knows he's going to go and die for the sins of humanity. 
But also he knows what? What did the Father tell him there in Psalms 91? I'm going to deliver him. Follow that? You guys with me? Okay. Come back to Luke 2. Just notice this education here. Look at Luke 2. Luke 2, verse 40. Luke 2 and verse 40. And the child, talking about the Lord, grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now what? Okay, so this is what's going on. We're talking about the Lord, verse 42. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. So he's 12. Now what's, what's been going on with him? Everybody wants to know about the, the childhood of Christ. He was a normal childhood. But what was going on with him? He's waxed, strong in the spirit. He's growing. He's filled with wisdom. He's doing what? He's learning as a man here. He's learning. He's growing. Verse 47. And all that heard him were astonished at his answer, at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? He's not talking about going down there and being a carpenter and building up the back end of the temple. He's talking about doing what? I'm down here doing the will of my father. The big F, the big father, as the Bible says, the big guy in the sky. Here it is. Verse 50, and they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. See that, and was subject unto, you know what he was? He was their child. They were his parent. So when they looked at Jesus and said, hey, look, when the street lights come on, you be home. Guess what was happening? He was home five minutes before the streetlights came on. He was, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Interesting. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now come over to chapter 3 and look at verse 21. 321. And when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying and the heaven was open. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age. Isn't that interesting? Chapter 2 ends, how old is he? 12. Now he's 30. 18 years in there, isn't it? It's interesting that in our culture, when you turn 18, you're officially in a what? An adult. <laughs> okay? According to the rules of the, of, the, of the... He's been 18 years here. At 12 years old, he's blowing them away. And the, all the scholars, they can't answer. He, they're just boom. He's increasing in wisdom. He's just not floating along saying... I got it made. It's with deliberate intent studying the scripture. And he's 
educated. He's growing. He's increasing. He's learning. He's a son. Come over back with me to Isaiah 50. Isaiah 50. Isaiah 50, verse 4. Again here, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord God, and by the way, that, that you see that Lord is a, a capital L and then all lowercase, and then you have the capital G-O-D, that is Jehovah the Father. That's who we're talking about. Okay, it's Jehovah, Jehovah the Father. If you have capital L-O-R-D connected with a capital G, little O-D, that's the Son. Okay? The Lord God, the Father, hath given me, the Son, the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He waketh morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. How does the Lord identify himself here? As the one who God prepared a body for, to go be the sacrifice for. But what does the Father do to him? He educates him. He opens his ear. The Father opens his ear. Verse 5. The Lord God hath opened mine ear. I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheek to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. He didn't do, verse 5, I was not rebellious. He didn't do what Israel did. Israel rebelled against the educating of the word of God. He says, I didn't do that. Instead, I went and did this. Verse 6, I went to Calvary, where he says there about the only place you know that they chucked, that they plucked the hair off his cheeks is that verse right there in Isaiah 50, verse 6, talking about Calvary. He says, hey, I know. Lo, in the volume of the book, it's written of me. I know what I'm supposed to do. The Father opened mine ears. He educated me. So when he cried, Abba, Father, and not my will but your will, he knows what the will of the Father is for him to do what? To go be the sacrifice for sin. And he could have said, is it possible to pass away? Actually, he does, doesn't it? If it be possible. But immediately, nevertheless, not my will. That's what a son cries. Look at verse 7. Isaiah 50, verse 7. For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He's looking for help. The Lord God will what? Help me. Now, does the Father help him? Yes, he does, but he doesn't take him off the cross. Come back to Psalm 16. He, he doesn't reach up there and, you know, if it's possible, let this... It was possible. He's the, he's the Father. He's God. He can do any of it. And he, but that's not what his will was. Look at Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Oh, the time. Psalm 16. 
Look at verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. There's the Abba Father. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom in all my delight their sorrows shall be multiplied. Thou that hastened after another God, their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names in my lips. Look at what all of Israel did. He says, I know what Israel did. They were unfaithful to you, Father, but I am not. I will be faithful. The Lord, verse 5, is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup and the maintenance. uh, 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 Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in the pleasant places. Yea, I have a a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night season. He gave me what? Counsel. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in what? Hope. What's the hope? What's the help? The very next verse. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. Paul or Peter quotes that in Acts 2 in reference to the resurrection. You see, come back, well, man, just, you can go to, look, come back to Romans 8. You can go to Psalms 31 there, another messianic psalm, Psalms 40 again, and what's he doing? He says, I, deliver me. Abba, Father, if it's possible, the argument there between him with himself, go back to Romans 8. What's happening here? When he gets to the Abba Father prayer, it's after an end of years of being educated in the will of the Father. And what causes the Lord to look into that cup and to change his appeal from, if it's possible, to I'll do it, was the fact that he had already in his inner man, in his being learned the will of the Father and then went out and began to execute it and then went out and did. So when the Father looked at him and said, I'm going to give you the power to lay your life down and to take it, the Son said, yep, that matches Psalms. That matches everything. And you know, folks, you and I, we can do the same thing. Because we are to operate on who we are in Christ. Based on Scripture, folks, we too can rely on the Word of God. We too can cry, Abba, Father. We know the will of the Father, don't we? It's been revealed. It's not kept secret. We just have to do what? Well, we have to do verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And we have to go learn about that. And we have to be educated in that. Okay? 
So I hope this morning you see that relationship that the Lord had with the Father because you and I have the same one. And you know what the Son did? I know what I'm here to do, and that's to go die. And I'm trusting you, Father, because you said you were going to resurrect me, and I'm trusting you. I'm depending on you to be true to your word and to resurrect me. And that's what the Abba Father cry is really all about. I'm trusting, I'm depending upon the one who loved me to do what he said he's going to do. So when you read through Paul where he talks about according to the riches, you and I are so valuable to the Father that he literally has given us the same status, the same relationship as he did the Son. By the way, Israel, Romans 9, Israel will get this in the future in the kingdom. They don't have it back here. That's a present position for them. You and I have it immediately at the moment of salvation in the operation of God. Okay? All right, so we're going to get into 16. We'll learn how to learn. We're going to learn how to learn (laughs) next time. Okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word and for the instruction in it. And we just give you the praise and the glory and the thanks for that. In your name we pray. Amen.